Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the College Financial Aid and Career Navigation Podcast. Tom and Maria Geffers of Career and College Counselors, along with nationally recognized college financial aid expert Seth Green, teach two things. How to cut the cost of college tuition an average of $19,077 per child per year, and how to land your dream job after you graduate by choosing the right career and major. To get access to more information on how you can make the right choice, simply register at www.careercollegecounselors.com slash connect. To find out how to save an average of $19,077 per year per child on college tuition, go to www.howtofindmoneyforcollege.com. On the podcast, Tom, Maria, and Seth bring together leading experts in their fields who have experience in the college admission and career application process. They share their secrets so you can do it too. And now, here's your hosts, Tom, Maria, and Seth. Hi, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in again today with another great podcast. I'm Maria Geffers. This is my husband, Tom, and we're from Career and College Counselors. This week, we have someone who we're very anxious and very excited to have on our podcast. Um, she is a CPA, as well as being a college person who can, uh, college admissions, college scholarships, she's done everything financial, and she is a godsend to anyone who is anxious about student loans and how to repay them. We've heard a lot of bad uh, publicity on that. So we have here Rebecca Bailey of Higher Ed Hustle. And thank you so much, Rebecca, for coming in and answering those questions that all parents and all graduates from college have on their mind. So uh, I'd like you to start off with who you are, what you do, and when was that aha moment that this is where you want to go? Yeah, well, first and foremost, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm happy to share whatever I can with people just to get the information out there because um, there is so much mixed messaging. <laughs> um, so, you know, how I kind of got started in this was, you know, back to like when I was going and applying for college, um, I decided to pick accounting as my major. Uh, they really pushed um, like typical like public accounting. Um, so that's where the CPA license comes in. Um, when I was in college, you know, tax, audit, tracks, um, not really much beyond that. But for me personally, I knew that I didn't really want busy season to be part of my life for the foreseeable future <laughs> until retirement. Uh -huh. um, which for those of you that don't know, that's usually like at least a four month stint, if not more, that you're committing to 80 hours plus per week mm -hmm. um, of work. So I, um, you know, I was lucky enough that I found a public accounting firm that um, was in risk management. So as far as my career, I kind of got some exposure to internal control auditing and then operational risk management. Um, but along the way, like I still had my own student loans to pay. 
So I was just trying to pay the bills and through proactive self-education, um, I had found some strategies that worked for me. And, you know, obviously that started very early on, even in college, um, trying to get scholarships, working 20 to 30 plus hours per week, um, part-time, you know, buying used books, selling them back. Um, I even finished my undergrad in three years so I could cut out a whole year of expenses. Um, and I tried to proactively manage um, how much I was borrowing every year. And I was able to decrease the amount every single year. Um, so initially, like the amount of loans that I was coming out of college with was like, I don't know, like 60K. Um, but the biggest um, inflation aspect of that was the interest, of course. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, in trying to kind of proactively manage that, um, they, I had um, talked to some of my friends and they had asked me questions just being a CPA and everything. And they were like, you know, you really should be like doing this like professionally, like charge people money for this. Like other people <laughs> don't know that. Uh -huh. um, and I was as part of that proactive education process, like I was even seeking out classes locally um, through financial advisors um, that they were offering. And like, I would show up and I would know more about student loans than they would. Um, but I tried not to be like that overachiever <laughs> in the class. Um, but I mean, my, my experience anyway was that usually those are just, you know, a marketing ploy to kind of sell a life insurance policy and call it a day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm very excited to have you uh, on a podcast because uh, being in the business, uh, we speak to a lot of parents um, and I always ask them, you know, are you working with somebody right now? Do you have a financial advisor? Do you work with one of the big uh, companies like Merrill Lynch or Vanguard or do you have a CPA? And they always say, yeah, we do, especially the higher income people. But they always say our CPA and our accountant can't help us. They can't answer our questions about college. They'll say, get a 529 plan and uh, you're good to go, which is, of course, is not right. So, you know, I'm very excited to have you uh, on here, but uh, I want to start off with uh, when is the best time, in your opinion, to start repaying loans and why? <clears throat> yeah, so um, I could do the very... Um accounting thing of me and go very nuanced, but I don't <laughs> bog down the conversation. <laughs> um, the short answer to that is it depends on a multitude of factors. Um, but I would say like most basic answers immediately as soon as possible. Um, like I mentioned in the previous answer, the interest is what really, um, that that's the kicker. That's what's gonna, you know, keep people drowning right. for an extended period of time. So the sooner that you can pay on the loans, the better. Well, on the uh, subsidized loans, you know, um, people tend to put that off. And in talking about interest, do you? Do you I, I assume you recommend that they pay the interest when they're in college if they can, or, or the parents uh, start paying the interest. You know, uh, we we've done that with with our kids when they were in college as much as possible. It's difficult to do. I mean, but you know, if you, if you have the uh, the mindset to do it and get on a schedule, that's probably the best. Uh, thing to do. Now we have recommended to some college students that they build good credit when they're in college, <clears throat> have a credit card in their name, do all their expenses, you know, the small expenses when they're in college and have the parents even, you know, pay the, uh, the, uh, the payment every 30 days. So the kid has uh, great credit when he comes out. 
because ultimately they are going to try to, you know, refinance the loans, which is what we see all the time now on Facebook. We see all these companies that, you know, get lower interest, lower interest, but you do have to have good credit. So, um, you know, we advise them to do that. What, what do you think of that, of that uh, philosophy? Yeah, so a few things. Initially on the subsidized loans, um, there's some nuances there. I think um, it really depends on your budget for sure, but primarily I think the enrollment status is the most um, influential factor in that. If they're below half time, that interest is actually not being paid by the federal government. You have to maintain half time enrollment status in order for that to happen. So that's when it would be more beneficial um, to pay the interest on those subsidized loans when they're in college. Um, and the other thing is, um, you know, it depends on who's on the loan and who's making the payments for those subsidized um, loans. It That comes into play more from the tax perspective um, in regards to who can kind of claim the student loan deduction if they're eligible. Um, and, and, you know, if it's feasible, if you only have subsidized loans, then, you know, you're kind of in that situation. Um, I wouldn't necessarily, like, while in college, I wouldn't necessarily recommend paying more than the $2,500 per year, just because that's the maximum of the deduction. Um, and obviously based on, on income limitations. Um, in relation to the good credit, um, there are a few other things that I would recommend. So, um, Granted, people are probably coming to you like right as they're applying for college, um, so it might be a little bit late for this, but for any of those people that are being super proactive and listening to this before they really, really need you, um, I would recommend getting, um, having the kids be an authorized user on the parent's credit account prior to them turning 18, because that will um, lengthen the amount of time of their credit history, which will ultimately help them long-term. Um, the other thing is that just from like a parental perspective, it, it allows them to learn good behaviors about how to use credit without the additional peer pressure of, you know, being in a new environment all by themselves and around new people and trying to impress them and figuring out who they are. Um, and then um, the other thing is, too, if, if the student is not in a position to get um, a credit card on their own um, due to some of those missing factors um, that are really needed or looked for from a credit risk perspective um, from credit companies, they can apply for a secured card. And that can be tied directly to like a bank account or a, a different asset that they have. Um, Granted, it may not be a ton, but it, it's a starting point, and usually they offer low balances, and that's really just a stepping stone for them. Um, and then the last thing in regards to credit that I would recommend is that, you know, if the student is going to have um, a car, whether it's used or new, um, even at a, a younger age, having them on that um, that loan for the car, it will um, give variety to their credit profile as far as the types of credit that they have, which will also improve the score long-term. Becca, I have a problem. And as a parent, you know, I am sure a lot of qu uh, questions are out there. Could you explain the difference between a subsidized loan and an unsubsidized loan? Uh, because that's bandied about when you're looking at a financial aid package. Uh, you know, they have all of these hot uh, spot words, if you will. So could you possibly ex briefly explain the difference for us? Sure. So the subsidized loans, um, the interest that accrues 
on the subsidized loans offered by the federal government, um, they will, the federal government will basically pay the credit. That's the subsidy um, for that. Um, they will pay the interest on those loans, like I said earlier, as long as you're maintaining that half-time enrollment status um, or if you're in deferment. So for example, if, if the student goes on to graduate school, um, they can't be making payments on their undergraduate loans. That would be another time period. Um, also with the federal loans they offer, um, they'll, they'll do that if you can't pay, um, if you're unemployed, that's one of the, the benefits of the subsidized loans compared to unsubsidized, which is the exact inverse of that, you know, given all of those conditions, um, that interest is actually accruing and added to the, um, especially when you're in college, the interest is capitalized at the end of the, the loan and it's actually added to the, to the balance once you start repayment. So that could be a, a big surprise. Yes. <laughs> Okay. That's how my $60,000 in loans got to be over <laughs> six figures, which is really great. <laughs> Shocking. Okay. So, so what do you think, what do you think is the biggest mistake in repayment plans? Anything that like you would put number one, the biggest mistake someone would make? I think, I mean, personally, I would say there's two different aspects. I would say there's biggest and then there's most costly. <laughs> I'm not always synonymous depending on the situation. Um, but I think they both kind of go back to um, not proactively managing it and really taking this set it and forget it kind of attitude like, okay, well, I'm on a path and that's fine. Not necessarily recognizing what the implications of that choice could be long-term. Right. The, um, the big money, the big loans in, in Pennsylvania, the average uh, loan, I think is approaching about $40,000 now, you know, for, for uh, college loans. And it's one of the worst states, unfortunately, <laughs> in the country because of a lot of different problems. And that's where we live, yeah, just to let you know, that's where we live. <laughs> but I mean, I don't have a problem, you know, with a loan of $35,000 if you get a college degree. <laughs> you know, most kids will go out and buy a car for that amount of money coming out of high school. You know, so you have to, you know, you know, is it $35,000 well spent for a car or for a college degree that's going to give you a million dollars more in income over the course of your life, you know? So I don't have a big problem with that amount, but I do see numbers like 100,000, 150,000 like you were talking about for yourself. And a lot of those are uh, parent plus loans and personal loans that uh, parents are taking out. And they can get very, very costly, as you know. And... Uh, this this is not spoken about too much, but do you, are you uh, familiar with consolidating the loans? Like if you have two or three or four loans, are you, yep. are you familiar so with from that a, concept? Yeah. So from a federal perspective, it's consolidation, um, and then you can you can further consolidate federal and private loans um, as well. Um, but that's, I think, more so where the strategy comes in. If you're a student or family that has both of those federal loans and private loans, um, that's really where the strategy becomes more important about what to prioritize and where to allocate the monetary resources at that point. Because I've seen, I've seen some examples uh, where they consolidated loans and, and they reduced the payment dramatically you know, uh, if it's done correctly and you really have to know what you're doing. It's not mm -hmm. something you can just, you know, do on your own. You really have to do your homework and I guess speak to somebody like you to do that. But it sounded like it could be a very big savings if it's done properly. But, uh, and, and I'm just aware of this for the last couple of uh, months actually, 
how this oh, plan okay. works, consolidation, and how much money you can save on it. <clears throat> what is the PLUS loan? For those of us that don't understand it, you know, you, you talked about that. What's that? Because again, that appears on the, uh, you know, the financial aid form. So as a parent, how would you explain that to somebody? So the PLUS loans, I would explain kind of as It's the federal government's way of marrying federal access to funds and parental credit worthiness that's normally assessed on the private side. Um, so they're essentially, rather than taking those federal loans, there's a, a limit every year that can be offered directly to the student. Um, and so the plus loans are really, if, if there's an additional need that needs to be met, um, which, you know, can be more than the expected family contribution that comes out of the FAFSA um, based on, you know, if they're staying on campus or, you know, what whatever the situation is. Um, so if there's additional funds that are needed beyond th those initial subsidized and unsubsidized portions of the federal loans, um, another option could be the PLUS loans. Those are funds offered by the federal government and, um, it's really a loan given to the parent okay. based on their credit history, their credit worthiness. The danger with the parent plus loans is that the interest rates are, in my opinion, insanely high. <laughs> um, a lot of the times um, you can actually go to other private lenders and get much lower rates. Um, just based off of how the system has been built for Parent PLUS loans. And the other thing to consider um, from the consolidation perspective, um, the reason why that is so, um, so much more cost effective and the payments can be lowered for federal loans when, when consolidation is done is because in order to have access to income-based repayment, or I should say income-driven repayment, um, because there are four different types of, of income-driven repayment plans, income-based repayment being one of them. So, you know, super straightforward government bureaucracy <laughs> terms, so simple to understand. Um, so for income-driven repayment, there's four different types, but consolidation is the gatekeeper to those income-driven repayment plans. And Parent PLUS loans do not have access to any of those. So you don't recommend that at all? I would not know. Okay. So the, the income-driven uh, repayment plans, uh, how does that how does that work basically? I mean, I, I know a lot of people take try to take advantage of that if they can, uh, or, or they have these other programs. Where if you teach in you know in a in a city school, there's you know uh, forgiveness. But how does the what is the uh, the behind what is the idea be, behind the income-driven uh, repayment plans? How does that work? You know, in a nutshell. <laughs> Yeah, so the goal with the income-driven repayment plans is really to align what the income of the borrower is to a payment that they can afford. Um, so essentially what the federal government will do is um, they'll take the most recent tax return for that borrower and um, they will, depending on which of the four plans that you choose, it, I believe it's 10% of your discretionary income can be the, the payment to... Um, 
15%, I think is the highest one right now. Um, used, the old one used to be like 25%. Um, and then there's income contingent repayment, which is um, one of the four options, which is, is really more for people that are, um, they have income below the poverty line. Um, so you wouldn't necessarily have to even be making a payment, but there are like, there's qualifications for each of the four um, income driven repayment plans. Okay. Now also, um... As a CPA, if, if you come across someone who is a business owner, is making uh, high income, is not going to get much aid because of his income and assets, there are things he can do on his tax return if he owns a business uh, to take advantage of the taxes and, and, and uh, if he has a child, maybe he can work in the business. Can you talk about that a little bit? Um, as far as the having a, a family member as a an employee, um, that, I mean, that's, that's really a benefit no matter what the purpose. I think the bigger picture is really managing the tax plan as a whole um, to kind of align that. So the FAFSA is based off of the, the tax return. Um, it's really important to start thinking about that, um, you know, as, as early as when the student enters 10th grade. Um, for, for the plan for like the spring, starting the spring semester of their 10th grade year. Um, so that you can be, because that's what the FAFSA will be based on when they're entering their freshman year is, you know, that end of 10th grade, early 11th grade yeah. year. Um, so in regards to um, just managing the tax plan as a whole, there's, there's a few things that can be done. Obviously, as with most things, there's more flexibility. Um, for business owners in general. Um, I haven't worked personally with a ton of business owners at this point, so I don't want to give false information. <laughs> and especially with the tax code changing, um, you know, depending on when this airs, I, I don't necessarily want to speak to that. <laughs> yeah, I, I understood. But there are things that the uh, government gives you uh, on your tax return that uh, you can take advantage of as a family. Uh, that will save you money for uh, I forget what I, I forget what they're called, but I'm sure I'm sure you, you, you know what I'm talking about. They can uh, take advantage of uh, going back to school and tuition, uh, even if you're an adult. Correct? Yeah, yeah. The tax credits. Um, so the biggest the biggest tax credits um, for that are the American Opportunity Credit and the Lifetime Learning Credit. Um, the American Opportunity Credit can only be taken for the first four years of undergraduate um, enrollment. And then Lifetime Learning Credit is really like no matter where you are in the, um, in the process of going to college, um, you can always utilize that. Um, there is also a tuition, um, de tuition deduction. Um, depending on the CPA you go to, they would argue that that's more beneficial because you can, you know, take the whole amount of the tuition. Um, it really depends on the client though and what they want. Most people want the money in their pocket <laughs> from the tax return. Um, so the American Opportunity Credit, especially in that first four years, is usually the way to go. Um, and, and that can get, um, pretty interesting because, so that's up to $2,500 as far as the deduction that you can take, but $1,000 of that is actually refundable. So that can be money in your pocket. Um, assuming that you're 
tax liability isn't higher than that. Well, that's good to know. I mean, a lot of people, you know, they don't realize that uh, unless they're paying, you know, close attention to these things. But uh, there's a lot of stuff out there you can take advantage of. Right, right. And I think what's important is everyone needs to know that you're giving general information, you know, that you are not giving specific and everyone has to know that because everyone's position is totally different. So this is just a generic overview of uh, what's going on. But to really know, you need to speak to a qualified person personally with you or another CPA or college funding, certified college funding specialist. Very important. I have a question. On your website, you had mentioned that you can save uh, people up to $225,000 in their lifetime. Okay, could you explain how that's accomplished? And is it only for students who have extremely high loans, those students that are going on to med school and, and dental school? Um, so it's definitely not that elite as far as only being okay. med school or dental school students. Um, it's something that um, I've already accomplished at this point. Like I've already hit that mark and I already provided the amount of debt that I had initially. Um, and it goes back more to the tax strategy involved as far as how that's accomplished. So um, there are a lot of things that people don't understand about tax strategy. Um, a lot of times the student loan debt is seen as this, this big roadblock and to it, it's a gatekeeper to you know, all these other life milestones, buying a house, getting married, um, having kids, like there's all of these monetary concerns and fears and anxieties about, you know, how can I afford all of these things? How can I very actively make this choice knowing that I'm not financially prepared to do so or feel some sense of inadequacy? Um, that is where um, some lesser known things about the tax code could really come in handy, especially for people coming right out of college very early in their career. Um, if they're willing to, um, you know, if, if they're in, if they have solid, consistent income, if they're willing to manage their budget and, and not kind of take that mentality of, I'm an adult now and I have money and I can spend it all, <laughs> um, there are really a lot of ways that can benefit them long term to build wealth and net worth um, and protect them financially long term, but also give them options when those milestones are presented to them that they don't necessarily, they're not well publicized or talked about. Um, so a couple of those that um, I usually recommend to my clients are um, leveraging if you have 401k benefits, um, maxing that out, not just to what the employer will match, but people don't realize that you can take up to, if you're a W-2 employee with a 401k plan, you can go up to, right now it's $19,500. So the biggest um, asset that anybody has in planning for retirement is the time value of money and saving more and saving it early. Mm -hmm. So if you can stack that away very early on, it's not even a challenge to, to, to hit a quarter of a million dollars in your lifetime. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other thing that I usually recommend, again, kind of more along the lines of a, a W-2 employee, um, most medical insurance that they offer now is um, high deductible. Um, so leveraging the HSA deduction as well. Um, and where that kind of comes into play from a student loan repayment perspective and the strategy there is that 
both of those things directly reduce the income that the government bases your payment calculation on, which is called adjusted gross income. So if you can manage that AGI um, more proactively and have it be reduced, but you're still paying yourself first, it just opens up doors in the mm -hmm. future. Um, and I understand that it's really difficult usually for people to be taken out of the mindset of, um, you know, what what's immediately looks good on paper, what's going to benefit me right now. Um, but it, in choosing those very easy things or what appears straightforward now, they don't realize how they're limiting their self and their options in the future. Mm -hmm. So you're basically saying, don't be afraid. Don't, yeah. be, don't be terrified that uh, you can get a good education and yet still live a life that is plentiful and normal. We shouldn't be afraid because everybody is out there tooting the horn is, you know, afraid, afraid, afraid. But as you said, with a little discipline, because it does have discipline, you can, you can live very well and still manage your loans. Don't let that be um, a deterrent to, to your future. Is there any other topic that you would like to um, briefly talk about before we end our, our talking, our session? Um, yeah, so the only other things that I would kind of mention are some resources that I, um, I point my clients to. Um, one of them is moss.com. Um, they're kind of, these are all kind of like new kids on the block, I would say, as far as um, college financial strategy and resources go. Um, but they actually do free FAFSA filing. Um, and I know that there are like paid services out there. So mm -hmm. it's just one of those things that like, don't pay somebody for that. <laughs> like a lot of times you can um, go and just, you know, file it yourself just with your tax return. Um, there's a great IRS link tool now that makes that pretty straightforward, at least for the common app schools. It's not necessarily the same for CSS profile, kind of more Ivy League schools, but, um, you know, that's a great resource. Um, they'll also do, they charge a small fee for financial aid appeals, which some people don't even realize are available to them. Um, and if they would like a discount on that, um, they can use the code BECCA10, B-E-C-C-A-10. Um, and then Tuition Fit is another um, another resource that I would recommend as well. And people can upload their financial aid package letters to that site, and that will give them access to a database to show them how their package compares to other people from that school. Um, and you know, the more letters that are in that, the more beneficial the data is. So. Mm -hmm. um, and then the last is, is more in relation to, um, you know, an alternative to the Parent PLUS loans um, is Juno. Um, they are a, uh, they really kind of do, um, they negotiate deals using collective bargaining okay. um, for student loans, um, which is a little bit of a new strategy to that. Um, and they're, Right now, they're guaranteeing the lowest interest rate um, on the market for newly originated undergrad loans. Um, and I think right now, I actually just refinanced with them um, for my private loans. And, you know, I was able to get like under 2%. Can't guarantee that for everybody, but mm -hmm. that's way better than like the 
six, seven plus percent that <laughs> plus right. loans are. Right. right. And Becca, you know, if anyone is interested, they can get in touch with you. But, uh, you know, you, you are on the West Coast, but you do take clients uh, from all over. Is that correct? You do online. Uh, you know, you they can contact you and can actually use your your services. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm actually so I'm in upstate New York in Buffalo. Um, and I can be found at, um, higheredhustle.com. Um, we're also on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, um, Twitter and Instagram handle is <laughs> at higheredhustle. <laughs> um, but all of that is on the website for sure. Um, so yeah, thank you guys so much for having me and, you know, giving me the opportunity to share more about the business and. Oh, you're and very share. welcome. Yeah, it was, uh, it was great information and, um. You know, sometimes it's tough to follow financial uh, uh, numbers and stuff yes. uh, on on uh, online or anywhere else unless you're in face to face right. and doing it on paper. But it was great information, and uh, loved having you here. And uh, thank you for all of the uh, insight that you have given us. Right, and you can get in contact with uh, Becca at higheredhustle.com. And she will be able to help you figure out stuff when we get overwhelmed with numbers and emotions. So uh, thank you again, uh, Becca. And this is Maria and Tom Geffers saying goodbye, and we will see you next week. Thank you very much.